Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lumumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. Thanks for being here today for the Mississippi Book Festival of 2020, virtual this year. So we hope we're going to have everybody back in Jackson, Mississippi at the Capitol in person next year. Um, very quickly, I want to thank Holly Lang, Ellen, Tanja, and all the behind-the-scenes people with the book festival who bring together a lot of moving parts uh, for an impressive festival. If you've not been before, we hope that you'll be able to join us next year. Um, I play a very small role with the festival. I'm on the advisory board, and I'm also the director of the Mississippi Film Office. And we have been talking about this panel or something similar for the last five years. It's been our goal to incorporate um, literary adaption into the festival because of the many writers from Mississippi that have been adapted to the stage and screen. Their works have been adapted to stage and screen. William Faulkner, of course, Richard Wright, Tennessee Williams, Welty, um, more recently, John Grisham, Catherine Stockett, Larry Brown, Angie Thomas, and today, Michael Ferris Smith, um, whom we have today, along with producers and directors, writers, actors, uh, very quickly, Michael is an award-winning author of Blackwood, Desperation Road, Rivers, and The Fighter, which we'll be talking about today. His novels have appeared on Best of the Year lists with Esquire, Southern Living, Book Riot, and numerous others. He's also been a finalist for the Southern Book Prize, the Gold Dagger Award in the UK, and the Grand Prix de Lectrice in France. His sixth novel, Nick, releases in January 2021, and he resides in the very fine city of Oxford, Mississippi. But joining us from Water Valley, um, it's about three hours north of Jackson. And we also have Parker and Graham Phillips with us. Parker is in the khaki colored shirt um, and Graham white. I got that right, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they are not twins, um, but they are brothers, writers, producers, directors, and actors based out of New York and Los Angeles joining us from California today. Parker's background is in literature while Graham studied U.S. history, audience Audiences may have seen Graham on the stage, film and television, the film Goats, Edmund Almighty, XOXO, Staten Island Summer and Blockers, and the Broadway musical 13. Um, he is a series regular on The Good Wife and currently plays on Riverdale and Atypical. Uh, they made their first award-winning short film, The Mediator, in 2015, which was inspired, I think, by your father and set in gold country in the 1890s. And their first feature, The Bygone, is available on Netflix. They are producing and directing Michael's script, Rumble Through the Dark, based on Michael's novel, The Fighter, as well as one based on Blackwood, and producing an original drama series with Michael, among other projects. Welcome. Hi, Nina. Much. Y'all have uh, a lot on your plates, specifically <laughs> <laughs> with Michael. <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, I'm hoping that this will be more of a conversation than a than an interview. So please chime in and, and um, if you have questions, bring those about too. So I'm just going to start with, for all of you, when did you know you were a storyteller and how did you put one foot in front of the other to get to the points you are in your careers as writers, producers, directors? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like before I was a storyteller on, you know, the directorial side of things or on the writing side, I, I was a singer and I was an actor. And one thing that I really liked was it was a, it was a way to express a lot of um, sort of uh, 
conflicting emotions that I couldn't, I didn't really know how to really make it, you know, thread into any kind of cohesive tapestry at all. And it just kind of started, felt good to have an avenue for that. And obviously working with great writers is something that you, you know, you learn to love and working with great composers is something you learn to love for that same reason. Yeah, when I graduated from school, thankfully I had a brother who was waiting for me. So I always wanted to, you know, explore the other side of camera as well. I always loved cameras, uh, but lacked some of the discipline to actually complete the draft and like, you know, get it done. Sometimes that's the hardest thing about writing. And thankfully I found a really good partner in crime who helped me actually get it on the page. So that's sort of how it worked out for me. Yeah, I'd say, you know, I, I also started out as an actor. Um, so I think, you know, we were both kind of born storytellers in that way, but we always knew we wanted to direct together. But then the question is, okay, what are you going to direct? You need something written to be able to get it on the screen. And uh, I can't tell you how many conversations my brother and I had trying to figure out an idea for a short film. And I, we have, sometimes we, you know, we'll see a, an old, you know, folder with some short film ideas and they were all just so bad. And uh, it, it, it took a long time. We were finally at this Chinese restaurant in New York City and our dad, who's a mediator, uh, got done working. He just talked about these two guys that he was meeting with all day and uh, how they were so angry at each other, you had to keep them on separate floors. And um, we, my brother and I kind of looked at each other and we started coming up with this idea to do the same thing, but set it in the old West. And that was our first idea. And, uh, you know, ever since then, you know, the ideas started to come a little easier and a little easier. And then finally, when the ideas really started to come easier, we met Michael, who is a uh, far better writer than us. And now we just got to, we just get to use his ideas. So <laughs> How did you get to this point, Michael, in your in your writing career? What was your path to writing? Oh, uh, it, well, it's probably story? a shameful thing to say, but I remember being a really good liar um, <laughs> as a kid and just that progression of it. Um, I think um, lying has a lot to do with storytelling because they have a lot of similar characteristics. You know, a good lie and a good story, they got to be believable and entertaining and they got to be full of emotion and all those kinds of things. And so I think... Um, my vivid imagination probably um, when I was a youngster and even a teenager. And then I really think my influence of uh, the Bible stories, which I've talked about a lot with my dad being a Baptist preacher, um, were kind of put in there early. It was a long time before I ever started to try to do this like seriously or as a pro. And that's when I really found out how hard it was. But I think the seeds are kind of planted in there pretty early in you. Um, whenever they come out, you know, is you're never going to know. Like, I probably could have never anticipated it. But, yeah, I think they were in there from those early days of making up stories and being kind of, uh, you know, interested and enthralled even by some of those, like, almost wild image-driven stories from the Bible. You know, it, 20 years later, when I sat down to write my own stories, I think that I had that in there somewhere to work with. Yeah, great. How did the three of you end up? In, in this place together with all of these projects coming to fruition. I'll let Parker tell you know, that. We, uh, we got done with our um, first feature, the bygone and we sold it and we kind of were trying to figure out what we wanted to do next. And um, all of Graham and I's ideas were they're well, they're really expensive and there were, weren't <laughs> ideas, you know, they were like, you know, 50, hundred million dollar films we kept thinking of. And uh, we, really wanted to get away from her. And it's really hard to have objectivity when you're having to come up with the concept, write the script, write so many drafts of it, and then go and direct it. And then inevitably, you know, you're getting close to actually 
principal photography and the one thing you know you can control is the script so you keep rewriting it as opposed to um you know like what's happening now uh we're we're already working off this you know screenplays that michael's wrote and we're thinking as directors as opposed to having to have our feet in both places so we kind of recognized the advantage of that and we started reading a lot of books we knew we wanted to do something in the southern gothic realm uh just because that's the literature we grew up on and loved um and you know we were just reading a lot and then one day i don't know how we stumbled across michael's website and we started reading each one of his books, uh, just the little, you know, log line of them. And when we got to the fighter, I just saw that amazing photograph he has of that field on fire. fire. And um, now they say never judge a book by its cover, but had we not, we probably would not be having this conversation. Honestly, today. it's just such a good looking book and it feels yeah. good and it looks amazing and it's the right size. And I kind of held it and I was like, Graham, I think this is it. We haven't read it yet. So let me start reading it. And about, halfway through we were like holy shit and I emailed Michael not even having finished the book and I told him the email I was like look I'm not even done with the book but you know what's the deal with this this is amazing and um, we started having dialogue and uh, obviously we finished it a couple days later fell in love and um, we reached out to Cassie and Ellis who had the option on the book and uh, you know we basically put together this pitch presentation and said, you know, we think that we're the ones to tell the story and here's why. And um, he agreed and he was really excited. And we flew out to Oxford, Mississippi to uh, toast it with Michael. And, um, you know, we've just been working together ever since. I think uh, we're really lucky. We have a great working relationship. I think, you know, we really understand each other and we, we all, Graham and I've always prided ourselves in working very fast and Michael does the same thing. And we don't, you know, we, we, we come up with ideas and we move forward and uh, we inspire each other. And um, anyways, yeah, Michael's, Michael's like our third brother. He's just a little older and got a little more gray. <laughs> got a lot more gray. <laughs> now, I, th- I think the timing, just to piggyback on what Parker was saying, I think the timing was right for me and Parker and Graham because, um, you know, I was in the early stages of starting to transition over into writing some scripts and, um, Right about the time I spoke to them about The Fighter, their new film, the, their first feature, The Bygone, was getting ready to release, and they sent me the backdoor link to that, and I got to look at it, and like I watched the first five or ten minutes of it, and I immediately like, loved the way it looked and just the cinematic feel to it. And I was watching it with my wife, Sabri, and we were both like, yeah, I think they could do a beautiful job with The Fighter. And, you know, that they were on board with me writing it, and us all kind of getting – uh, together on it and seeing just how great we can make it. I mean, it was all from the very beginning, very organic, but also very like propulsive too, like Parker said. Mm-hmm. Like, those guys came out to Oxford and we sat down and had a drink and, you know, we were ready to film the next day pretty much if they would have let us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one thing. This whole, this whole slowdown has been really difficult for us because we've just been like, you know, horses in the stalls. Like we've, we've been ready to go for a while. We've had the storyboards ready. We're, you know, we're ready to pull the trigger on casting and it's just, you know, it's, it's been killing us. But the good news is, is, you know, it's let us pretty much finish, like, what, two other projects in the meantime? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, as you read, we, we've got other projects with Michael, and we've been able to develop those. So once, you know, once we start shooting, we're going to be, I, I joke with Michael, but I'm serious. I think I'm going to be a Mississippi resident with my brother for a few years. because <laughs> Come we're gonna on, we'll there. take you. <laughs> That's what I tell him. Might as well just come on. Might as well. <laughs> Uh, you can be scouting every day, just driving through the hills, right. find, finding Big Mama's sweets, Big Sweet Mama's place. Yeah, we're gonna find it one of these days. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you said never judge a book by its cover. I've got this pin. I don't know if you can see it. Never judge a book by its movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, hopefully we'll create the exception to that, too. <laughs> but, you know, that's a, that's a, there's this love-hate relationship between books and movies for audiences. Uh, what are, I'm curious to know what have been your some of your favorite adaptations, um, any of you. Well, I would say that the Coen Brothers adaptations of True Grid and No Country for Old Men were my favorites, or two of my favorites, just because they really stick so closely to the book. I mean... I mean, when I love a book and I know I'm going to watch the film, like I want it to be like the book, you know, and, and they are very much um, have their heads wrapped around that concept too. And I, so, I mean, those are the two that really stand out to me. I mean, there's a bunch of them, but those are the two I always think of. Yeah, I think, you know, we definitely agree on no country for old men. I think one of the reasons, you know, the Coen brothers did a great job with that, but, you know, and also they, they did stick really closely to the novel, but also it's a novel that can be made into a film and it's not that long. And one of the great things about Michael's novel and you've read the script, meaning and it's like you it, it, it's all in there. And, you know, if Michael wrote the fighter into this, you know, 600 page book, it would be a different story because we'd have to sit down and we'd say, OK, what are we cutting? What can't make it into the film? Right. But one of the things that we were really attracted to in this novel was you know, this can be made into a film and we can do it justice. It can be, you know, I don't want it. I want it to be another thing, but audience uh, fans of the book will watch the film and love it. Just like fans of the film will then can then find the novel and find the story there and love that as well. And I think that that was one of the things that we were really excited by. And um, yeah, I think all of Michael's stories, I know he's got a thing about long books. He likes to keep his stories short and uh, it's, it shows. And, you know, Michael, we hadn't, we hadn't read any screenplays that he wrote when we agreed to, you know, do this with him. And it was just because you can tell the way he writes, he writes such incredible dialogue and it's so realistic. Um, and it's possibly one of the more cinematic books we've ever read. I mean, it's a visceral image that you get, you know, right. like so many great books are, but it's, you know, it, it just creates that visual world so quickly that it lends itself to film. Yeah. You just need to format it and it's all there. Michael, do you visualize these stories? Um, do they come to you as movies in your head or are they, are you just writing the novel and it's coming as it comes? Like wh where is the visual element in your writing? How do you, how do you? How That's you a good question. Um, I've been asked that several times in, probably in the last year or so. And I've kind of gone back to, um, you know, it's nothing I really consciously think about. Um, but I go back to one of the really great pieces of writing advice I got when I was starting out. And I'm not even, I can't even remember who gave it to me. It might've been Mary Robeson when she was still at Southern, Southern Miss. Um, whoever it was told me like, when you're writing a scene in fiction, you should pretend like there's someone sitting next to you in a movie theater and they're blindfolded and you have to describe to them what you see on the screen. That was a wonderful lesson because you wouldn't just say like, oh, there's a highway. You would say there's a bumpy old patchy road, the weeds growing high on the side and the sun setting and there's shadows falling across the road, you know? And then, you know, on a film, the scene changes like that. So you've got to be very economic about how you go about it also. You know, you've got to hit those images and then hit the next image and the next image. So I think my prose kind of naturally developed, you know, hopefully kind of cinematically able to see because that was, that obviously is a, 
piece of advice that stuck with me over the years because, you know, however many years later, like I still remember it and I still think about it when I'm writing now. Um, so I think, you know, maybe that is one of the things that, you know, drawn, you know, Parker and Graham to it. And for me makes it, um, a real pleasure to adapt because I think I see things very distinctly in, in the fiction. So like when I go to move it onto the page for a script, like it's almost already there. I mean, like it's very alive and real to me already. In fact, the, the problem with me in script writing is cutting down on those things because I have to realize those guys see it too, and they're going to create their own world for it. Right. Um, but I think the, that that piece of advice I got is kind of thing that sticks in my mind. It doesn't matter if I'm working on a script or, or prose, either one. It's like try to make the reader see what you see as best you can. Right. Well, it seems like, you know, the three of you have had a lot of conversations and probably agree a lot about what, what, the, what this will look like visually. Um, but obviously, as producers and directors, you're going to bring your own eye to it. And so that's going to be amazing to, to see the final product. Um, Michael, do you, do you find that you're telling a different story based on the format that you're writing in a novel basis the, uh, the script. I don't know that's a good question I don't know if I'm thinking of it as telling a different story or as if I'm just thinking of telling the same story in a different way mm-hmm. and I think for me that was the move into script writing um, was okay it's not a novel anymore it's a film now and like that's kind of a fundamental change like you have to make um because the impetus is to like go in and write these big passages that you've used in the novel, but it's not, it's not like that at all. I think it's a different mode of storytelling. I think it's telling the same story, but I think you tell it in a different way. And then therefore it probably naturally does become a little different just because of the things that are happening that don't happen, you know, straight on the page. So I don't necessarily like think I'm doing anything new other than like um, almost um, just changing the camera angle on it or just using a different part of my brain to try to like tell the same story. And like to Parker and Graham's credit too, like, and just talking with them about it uh, and how they think about it. Like this is the first time I've written one, like with the directors, like to read and us to talk about it and to pitch it back and forth. And that's kind of taught me a lot about it too, because I've been able to get in their heads a little bit and kind of imagine what they see and how they imagine and how they imagine movement from one scene to the next, um, which has been very beneficial. So I think it's just getting your mind into the, into the, um, the mode of this ain't a novel anymore. It's, it's a film now. So let's tell it like a film. Tell me a little bit about um, the decision-making that goes behind changing the title from the fighter to rumble through the dark. Yeah, I think that that was the first day that we actually met each other in person we went and got uh what, what was it we had we had catfish we went to go get fried catfish in oxford and then finally there was a lull in the conversation <laughs> michael goes so what are we gonna have to do about the title and we're like yeah we're gonna have to change it and um again to credit how fast we worked together uh we touched down back in california we got an email from michael and had about five titles in it that were options and um we all agreed on rumble through the dark and it comes from, I think it's the end of chapter two in the fighter. The last line is uh, rumble through the dark with abandon. And um, I think it's, it's a, it's a beautiful line. It's such, it's such a poignant through line to the character of Jack Boucher and what he's doing. 
And, um, you know, I think it really speaks to the film and, uh, it's just, we've, we've talked about kind of the titles that we've always loved as far as in cinema and in novels. And I think Rumble Through the Dark just kind of, it just was it from the moment he typed it up. So that was, that was easy. How do you determine if a book would make a good movie? Like what qualities are you seeking in it when you're calling through all of, all of these novels and, and different ideas that come your way good cover <laughs> uh, well for for us you know it was i don't know if we, we can give any blanket you know judgment but we we had a very specific idea of um you know the genre that we were looking for we knew that it couldn't be too unwieldy it couldn't be a tv show um you know it needed to be a film so it it had we, when you look at a you know, when you look at a, a novel, you got to make sure that when you make it between, you know, an hour and a half and two and a half hours that you're not going to have to rip its guts out. What makes your, your heart connect to these characters, you know, you're not going to lose that. And, it, and it's tough to make that, that judgment when you're reading a book, like, you know, when you turn this 300 page thing into something that's like a hundred pages, double space, you know, it just, it's going to completely change it. And so, you know, to, to really understand, like, is it simple enough, um, but authentic enough to, you know, find its way into that mold? And thankfully, the character of Jack Boucher, he has that, you know, that singular through line that, um, you know, it's just, he, it's, as long as you have all the pieces there, you know, it's never gonna, it would never get too diluted or, um, you know, anything like that. So, yeah, I think a lot of people get caught up. They read a book and it really resonates with them. They think, I want to make this into a film, but it's, can you tell this story visually? You know, can I actually capture that within the lens? I mean, Michael, you heard him talk about, the guy can write a chapter about shadows and it's beautiful and I'm in. It's one of the greatest chapters I've ever read, but can Graham and I shoot that? Right. You know? Yes, no, I don't, you know, and so, you know, there's some, like some of our favorite passages in the book didn't make it into this uh, you know, script. Graham was talking about one last night about, uh, he, Michael writes about Jack's dreams and um, you know, it's not going to make it into the film, but that's one of the big inspirations for how we interpret the character of Jack Boucher. But there is so much that's in the novel that we can tell cinematically visually through our camera lens. And I think that's what Graham and I really look for. And that's one of the reasons that Michael's story, you know, will make their way to film and be great films. Yeah. I, my next question actually was about, you know, so many of uh, so much of what happens in the book is happening internally for these characters. And um, Michael, can you talk about a little bit about the process of adapting, adapting scenes, uh, adapting a, a lot of what's happening for a character internally? How, do, how does that end up on the page for a movie on the on the screen? Yeah, that's one of the real challenges. And one of the things I had to learn early on was like, how do you get those things out of a character's head um, and on the screen and um, taking those things and getting to them into either movement or getting that information into bits of dialogue they're having with someone else, or perhaps, you know, even the use of flashback, which is risky. You know, you don't want to do, you know, you don't want to film it's 50% flashback. Although I feel like, you know, some of them could stand it. Uh, <laughs> But the, but the big thing is taking what's in somebody's mind the, and the important things too, like Parker and Graham were talking about making the decisions you have to make through a novel. Like what are you going to take? 
that we have to have and we cannot do without. You know, and th- for instance, Jack, when he's driving through the night in the first couple chapters and he's thinking about Marianne and he's thinking about um, how he's betrayed her and he's thinking about a few of the, just a few of the little nuggets in the beginnings of what they've been through together. Those are very important pieces of the story. So, like, how do we get those out and, like, sprinkle them throughout so that you get that growing tension and you get the realization of it, too? Um, that was one of the very first things I, I really had to learn. And it, it took me, you know, a little bit, not too long, but uh, that that's the thing. Um, getting out of the character's head and getting onto the screen so that the audience can know everything they need to know and experience it, too, at the same time. This story takes place in Mississippi. I mean, you name the cities and that, that Jack's traveling through. Um, how crucial is it? That is, is Mississippi a character in this story? Is is that crucial to the story? And how much driving around do y'all do? And particularly you, <laughs> Michael, when you're when you're writing, you know, are you driving around to find where these stories take place, or is it something that just exists in your brain because you know Mississippi and uh, and you'll find it eventually where where those that Mississippi is definitely a character in the story, and the Delta in particular is definitely a character in the fighter. I've spent, you know, I've wasted a lot of hours driving on the roads of Mississippi. Um, it's kind of a favorite pastime. It has been for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a writer in Mississippi and you're not making Mississippi a character, then you're really missing the point anyway. Um, <laughs> but the Delta is definitely what makes, but there's no other place on earth like the Delta. I mean, let's face it. We all know that. And I think Graham and Parker got that right away. That the, place and the people and just the environment was its own place that that can make the film really unique I think I'll let them talk about that a little now after having been out here a few times but that's how I felt about it yeah I mean one of the reasons why we were drawn to the southern gothic genre is just I mean the, the reason why there's this insane literary history there is because there's this sense of you know, history and love and hate and turmoil and tension and, you know, and, and God that lives in the soil and in the air and in the atmosphere. And, you know, you, you pick up on that when you visit. And, you know, there's a reason why it feels like there's, you know, there's these, I think that, I mean, you describe it beautifully in chapter one. I think it's chapter one after the preface. And it's, you know, the, the haunts of soldiers and slaves that are, you know, like living in, in the air and like the ghosts that, that are still there. And, um, and yet this profound love and, and that's in, it's in that tension that the fighter seems to live. I mean, the life of Jack Boucher has been one of the most brutal lives I've read about. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, having to live your whole life fighting because you were left alone and you had no one to fight for you. And um, just learning to reopen his heart to love uh, and forming that connection from that brutality. I mean, that's sort of the story of the Delta in a nutshell as well. So the fact that it lives in Jack just felt, it just felt right on the money. I want to talk a little bit about the themes that you see in the story. Um, Something that struck me was the role of um, inheritance, um, not necessarily of worldly goods, but of history of a family and meaning in a family. Um, talk a little bit about the themes that you see, any, all of you, any of you. <laughs> well, I think the biggest thing with Jack Boucher, what makes Jack Boucher who he was is his abandonment as a child. 
And I think uh, throughout the novel, you find the ways that he's, you know, sought out family, but that's something he's never been able to shake. And, you know, the first person, the only person who's truly loved him is Marianne. And that's the person who throughout his life, he turned his back on. That's his major, you know, that's his biggest regret. And um, he's going to spend all his energy until his dying breath fixing that. Um, probably my favorite character besides Jack Boucher, and I think probably everyone would agree with me, is the character Big Mama Sweet. And I think it's really interesting. She's the antagonist of the story, but she's not a traditional antagonist. She's not really all that bad. She's just kind of this necessary necessary evil. And Michael talks about there's this honor among thieves be- between her and Jack. And, you know, Graham and I see her as, you know, Jack's other mother. You know, she's just the mother in another world. And I think that's really interesting. He's got this world of light that Marianne has brought to him, but he's got this world of dark. And Big Mom throughout that entire time has been the person that's protected Jack. She's used him and he's used her, sure, but she's protected him. And, um, you know, uh, when push comes to shove, uh, she's going to look out for herself and her land. But um, there's really an interesting dynamic there. And it's been fun, you know, to explore through the script. And it's been fun when we've been discussing with actors about um, Big Mama's suite because there's just a lot there. There's a lot of history. I can't wait to see who's cast in that role. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do it. <laughs> Michael, do you want to touch on any of the themes that that you think well that are important to you? Uh well, I think just the uh general theme of perseverance I think is um pretty strong throughout because I think it dis- it almost disappears a lot of times. Um Jack's spirit is broken over and over and over and over again, but I think it speaks to him as a person, I think it speaks to all of us as a person or as humans that it's going, I mean, we all have that spirit and though it may be broken over and over and again, it does regenerate and you do always, you always feel like you have another chance, no matter how bad things get. And I think that's, that's Jack in a nutshell too. I mean, even though he's bloodied and clawing in the dirt and every single thing in the world is against him, he's going to roll the dice one more time and just see if he can make it back just to break even you know, just to get back any way he can. And I admire that in, in anybody. I feel like that's one of the reasons why Rumble Through the Dark felt like a very appropriate title because, you know, he's, he doesn't know where he's going through so much of the story. He has such a strong sense of uh, internal direction, but he can't, you know, because of his memory and because of, just the nature of the world that he's navigating. He doesn't know if he takes one step, if he's going to, you know, fall into a pit or if he's going to, yeah. you know, r- run into a friend or a foe. I mean, he's got a, he has his journal to keep it all straight. So it just felt right that he's sort of having to reach out through the darkness. And there's a lot of faith in that. Yeah. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk more about um, process at the film office over the years. We, we get a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails from people that have stories that maybe not are on paper yet, um, but also those that have written and self-published projects um, that they would like to turn into a script. Michael, set, in reading back-to-back your book and the, the screenplay, um, in the screenplay, I noticed that by, by page eight, you've set the stage. Like this is what this is what's going to happen in this movie. Here's our conflict, and and um, I, I want you to talk a little bit about um, 
do you follow a certain convention when you're writing a script? Um, and how, how, how does that differ from the novel? I mean, I, I can point out a lot of different things, but just hearing from you, um, as you know, that there will be writers in Mississippi and across the, the world probably watching this and wanting to know, how do I get there? How do I, how does this story, maybe it's a 200 page story, maybe it's a 600 page story. How do you turn that into 110 to 120 pages? Uh, I'm not sure. Like after, <laughs> like when I've done it the third or fourth time now, I'm like, now how, when I sit down, I'm like, now how did I do this again? Um, but to be more practical, um, I believe it's really important, no matter if it's a novel or a short story or a script, to put everybody into the fire right off the bat. Like, and I, I learned this years ago when, when writing novels, like. I want my characters to be forced into decision immediately because when they're forced into decision immediately, there are immediately consequences to those decisions. And that already we have like dynamics of story going. Um, I think that worked with the fighter as a novel. I think it works wonderfully in the fighter of rumble through the dark as a script. Like you said, by page eight, you know where you are, you know, what's at stake. You can feel, I mean, there's heartbreak already in those opening moments. And mm -hmm. so like the going back to the perseverant thing, like how, you know, you, you immediately begin to wonder, how's he going to make it through this? And I think that can be a good lesson for anybody writing, you know, any type of script story um, right off the bat, you've got to test your characters and you've got to see what they're made of. And you've got to add some dynamic in there that makes not just the characters start to make choices, but you as the writer, you, you are forced to make choices immediately and you are forced to yeah. deal with consequences immediately. Um, in terms of just like the difference between the two, I find that in script writing, there's more of a rhythm to it, almost like I can get the thumpity thump of it and look up and, you know, a dozen pages are gone. Whereas, you know, it might take me a week sitting over here to write a dozen pages of prose just because it's a little bit more pensive. Um, it's a little bit more, uh, tranquil, tranquil is not the right word, but it's just a little more, um, uh, philosophical might even be a word. I don't know to use for it, but in, in script writing, you know, you feel the rhythm, you feel those beats, you feel the movement of the camera, which makes, gives it a little more tempo for me, which is one of the things I like doing about it. it it's something different. And I can feel that difference of rhythm when I'm doing each one separately. Um, was it, is it hard for you to change the structure dramatically? Um, like there are some things that are revealed in the script really early and they're not revealed until very late in the book. Um, right. How hard is that for you to change that around? Does it like, just eat at your soul to do that? <laughs> or, no, or not at all. Necessary? I mean, one of the great things about working with Parker and Graham on the fighter and also on Blackwood and whatever else we're going to work on um, is that first time we met them, first time I spoke with them, they said, we want the book. We love the novel. And that's what we want on the screen. That's very liberating to hear. Very liberating. And then going back to something I talked about earlier about first time I've written a script with the directors who were going to direct it and produce it like in the room with me. Like I've got, got to see and collaborate on like how they visualize it and how they like see concepts of Jack's character, concepts of the story and like where they might fit in different places in the movie version that are different from 
the novel version. And while, you know, things are kind of shifted around sometimes in, in memory or just in moment or in flashes of those things, um, it's still the same components. It's just, again, it goes back to that. It's not a novel anymore. It's a, it's a movie now. So how, how do we use those things to the, uh, in the most dynamic fashion to get the most um, result, to get the most punch, to get the most reaction, um, both from hopefully the audience, but I think also from actors um, and, and those and the, the directors when they sit down to actually do it. I think it's very important to have those pieces in the right place. So it, again, it was like part, it was a learning process for me too, which, you know, believe it or not, I do still like to learn things. Do you prefer one style of writing to the other? Uh, I don't know. It depends on what day of the week it is, I guess. <laughs> what kind of mood I'm in. Yeah. Um, in the, in the, this is more of a comment, really, than a question, but in reading the script, there was such great new dialogue between, um, like, between Ern and Big Sweet Mama. So I think you're going to have an audience that's real excited about that when the movie comes out. Um, Michael called me after writing that scene and he was like, yeah, guys, I, uh, I have to actually stop myself because I could write Big Mama and Earn. They could just talk the entire movie. I don't know. <laughs> I think he just had to stop, but that, that comes out. I, I, I think of all the scenes Grandma I get to shoot, I'm, we're so excited to be in that cabin and film that one. Yeah. It's funny, to that point, there is, I think that we, we at, at a certain point we had to draw the line and um, really get into the meat of the scene but there's this this line that we've just been talking the last week about putting back in it's the first exchange between Ern and Big Mama. Ern's just looking out over everything, and he looks back and he goes, "You need anything, Big Mama?" She goes, "Nah." <laughs> it's like you don't need it at all. And there's also like so much dialogue before Boucher actually makes it to the room and the scene really begins. And it's like, yeah, I mean that's that's the pace of the yeah. Delta. It's like you know the waiting. You know, there's this sense of of waiting that happens in a lot of Michael's work and it's not boring. And it's the same part of, to me, it feels like the same reason why his characters also drive around a lot and just look out and, you know, take it all in. And there's a lot to take in in the Delta, you know? When I was reading the book, the first couple of chapters, I thought, oh no, all this happens in somebody's head and people's heads. And we're just driving around. Is this going to translate? Are we going to be able to, and then reading the script, I was like, Oh, it's all coming to life. I see it. I see it. It's all like, it's happening. The action's happening. It was very exciting. So I can't, I can't wait to see it come. come you got to trust us, Nina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do y'all see, um, who's, who's the audience for this book as opposed to the audience for this film? Is it the same group of people or? Could it be different? We're not really well, thinking I guess we about could, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess you can't read that you, you love the film, hopefully. Um, I think uh, I think it's going to be the same audience. I just think films can sometimes reach a broader audience. And um, I, I really like to think that there's going to be fans from the book. They're going to find the film. And I think there's going to be people who discover the film because they love the actor that we have playing Jack Boucher or they love who's playing Big Mama Sweet or they just, you know, came to the theater to see a fighting film and they got so much more and they fell in love and then they're going to go back home and then pick up the book. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, it's funny. I, I love Cormac McCarthy. I read all his books, but the one I didn't read for some reason was No Country for Old Men. I watched the movie first and then I read the book and then I watched the movie again and then read the book again. And 
so forth. And um, yeah, I think that, you know, that, that's a really cool thing. I mean, people who are fans of Michael are going to be fans of this because this is also Michael's work. And that was really important to Graham and I. And, um, you know, I think that makes the whole thing very unique. There's not a lot of writers. I will say this. There's not a lot of writers who can adapt their own work. And Michael's able to do that because he has a great deal of perspective and objectivity and he understands it's a new medium. And, uh, yeah. So I think, you know, I, I think, yeah, hopefully, hopefully one helps the other, I guess. Yeah. Michael, will you always be the person to adapt your books or would you be open to, to somebody optioning your book and somebody else writing the screenplay? Uh, no, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I want to, it's, I want to keep my hands in as long as I can. You know, when we started shopping my novels, um, you know, my agents asked me, do you want to be attached to write? If there's interest in you adapting, do you want to do it? And I said, absolutely. I didn't know how to do it at that moment, but I was like, if somebody wants to, I'll buy a book and I'll figure out how to do it. Um, what I found out was that I like doing it. Um, I like doing something different. It's still storytelling, but it's using a different part of the brain. It's getting to like collaborate more. You know, when I'm novel writing, I'm just sitting here by myself I, and I don't really collaborate. I don't talk about it at all with anyone until it's finished. Um, but with, you know, working on scripts like Parker and Graham and I get to talk about it all the time. We get to go over scenes. We get to, you know, be more collaborative. Um, and I've enjoyed that process too, but I don't know, maybe I'm a little selfish and a little greedy, but now that I know how to do it, I certainly always would prefer to keep doing it, you know. Unless somebody could convince me otherwise, which <laughs> good luck. That's unlikely. <laughs> do you have any words of wisdom for um, somebody that is trying to do an adaptation? You said you didn't know how to do it. So what did you do? How did you learn? And what have you learned through that process of what not to do? Next uh, I remember when my agent asked me if I wanted to be attached to, to write. Um, I said, yeah. And then we got a call and I was like, okay, they want you to give it a try. And I was like, okay, can you tell me two books about screenwriting that I can buy like right now? <laughs> um, I got them. I read them. Um, and then I just started trying, trying to do it. Um, I mean, I would say that to anybody, there's, there's several good books out there about screenwriting, read them. I remember I told somebody that I did that and they kind of laughed at me. They're like, you bought a book about screenwriting. I'm like, what the hell else was I supposed to do? I mean, you don't just, you know, walk into a room and somebody tells you how to do it, you know, when you need to know. Um, I need so to yeah, I did question. those things. And I read, I read scripts too. Like, you yeah. know, that's another thing. And I think a lot of people who want to write always skip past the reading part. Um, but I got my hands on some scripts and I read them and I began to feel that rhythm and the, what, what it looks like and what it feels like. Right. But you've got to be real curious about it. I was very curious about how to do it. Um, and if you're curious and put yourself into action, you'll be able to figure it out. I know if we had a live audience right now, they would be raising their hands and saying, what books did he read? Can you tell me what books they were? Oh, um, <laughs> <I'm> gonna... <laughs> yeah. They're, I, I'm giving them away. I can't <laughs> I was just looking for them on my floor here, and I gave them to somebody who was asking me about it. Um, I'm Maybe sorry. We, I don't remember the names. Though. That's okay. We'll have to come back. We'll have to, you'll have to email them to us. My, favorite, then... my favorite screenwriting book, just to say one, is called uh, Your Screenplay Sucks. 
Yeah. That's, that's one uh, that I love. And every chapter starts out, your screenplay sucks because, for instance, you haven't given your bad guy a bad guy speech. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> anyway, I love that book. And I recommend that one. Yeah, whatever Michael read, it certainly worked wonders. Cause I agree. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It, in The Fighter and and actually even more so in Blackwood, He's um, he's crossing the line into, and this is just what you know, great Hollywood screenwriters do, but into the world of cinematography. And he's like writing more and more shots. And I'm like, okay, I see, I see what you're doing, Michael. <laughs> Trying to take our job. Okay, that's fine. As long as he, as long as it keeps making us look good, then. <laughs> <laughs> to their credit, they encouraged me to do that. So. <laughs> But that's what I'm talking about, too, about the learning process. Like, I've learned a lot from these guys. And just in the last year, I mean, we've written two scripts together. Actually, we've done more than that. Um, we've got something else going, too. But And we've got one film ready to shoot, and we've got another film we're about it's going to be ready to shoot next year. I mean, that's pretty heavy work for, you know, 12 months of knowing each other. Um, so I think they've learned from me, and I've learned from them, and we'll keep on. By the way, I found one of the books, Save the Cat. All right. Never heard did, of it. I have to look into it. Yeah. I did give the other one away, but this was in the pile over there. <laughs> well, hopefully, um, based on just just this conversation, we will have inspired many writers in Mississippian storytellers that will have scripts to hand off to the Parker and Graham Phillips of the world and the Cassian Ellas. And, <laughs> and we'll be making a lot more movies in Mississippi based on Mississippi content. Um, that's certainly a goal of ours at the Mississippi Film Office um, to not just bring filmmakers to Mississippi to tell stories like they want to tell them, but we want to tell stories like we want to tell them um, in the way that we know how they happen here in Mississippi. When do you think we're going to be able to see um, Rumble Through the Dark on the big screen? Well, it looks like we're um, supposed to start uh, photography um, end of this year or very beginning of next uh, so we'll be, it'll be ready for a Valentine's Day release. And <laughs> we're going to be coming to Mississippi really soon. And yeah, it's going to be here before you know it. Well, I look forward to seeing y'all here and, and seeing you with Michael at, um, at the best catfish place on the planet there in Water Valley, actually. Um, so looking forward to it. Thanks. We'll have to try it. Yeah. Um, thanks for taking time out of your days to be with us. Um, and for, allowing us to have this panel finally. We hope this will be an ongoing tradition uh, to talk to writers that have adapted their books or are looking to adapt their books. Any last things you want to say? No, I can't wait to see you in person, though. We're excited to come out very soon. Yeah. I agree. I'm ready to get the whole crew out here. We should mention also um, Parker and Graham's good friend is Brad Smith, who is from West Point, Mississippi, and founder of Blind Melon. And Brad is scoring for movies now, and he's going to be doing the music for um, Rumble Through the Dark. So that's very cool. We're getting a, another Mississippi connection in with it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, let's connect all the dots and make sure we get we get a lot of Mississippi on the screen. I think we will. Thanks. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Thank you, Nina. You. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party.